Hi, I'm Jack Cacciarella. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron will start us off by hitting the headlines to discuss the terrible Texas abortion bill, the January 6th Select Committee's attempts at retrieving Marjorie Taylor Greene's cell phone data, and the upcoming California recall. Then, Aaron and I are both joined by Florida State Senator and potential gubernatorial candidate Annette Tadeo to talk about her vision for Florida's future. We have a great episode for you, so let's zoom in. So folks, let's hit the headlines. This week, we are going to do this segment a little bit different. Jack is currently in the mountains with moving into college. He doesn't have any cell service. So it's just going to be me hitting the headlines with you all today. And Jack will be back next week on the 15th um, to hit the headlines with us. This week, the most important topic of discussion has to be the terrible Texas anti-abortion bill. Now, for those of you who haven't heard er earlier last week, the Supreme Court of the United States in a 5-4 decision allowed an anti-abortion bill passed by the Texas legislature to take effect. The bill allows any citizen in Texas the ability to sue those who aid or abet an abortion, while also outlawing all abortions that occur after the sixth week of a woman's pregnancy. This so-called heartbeat bill mimics many around the country and does not include carve-outs for rape, incest, or the health of the mother. Texas Republicans created a statutory scheme whereby any Texas resident can now sue individuals for helping women receive healthcare, for helping women receive abortions. Now this bill can have terrible ramifications. In fact, many have pointed out that even if you are an Uber driver who helps a woman get an abortion by driving them to an abortion clinic, that Uber driver can now be held liable under this new Texas law for up to $10,000. In essence, this bill is an all-out assault on women's rights and is blatantly unconstitutional as a matter of law. Now, the Supreme Court, in its decision, didn't completely say that the bill was okay. In its decision, the Supreme Court essentially said that it needs to hear, it needs to have more briefing and, would, and eventually will likely hear argument on the issue if it ever reaches that point. And that the lower courts, the Fifth Circuit and the District Court in Texas should first determine whether the bill is constitutional or not. But what people have pointed out is the fact that the Supreme Court has allowed this bill to stand shows that the court is willing to, at minimum, modify its holding in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey to allow for more restrictions on a woman's right to choose, on a woman's right to receive an abortion. Now, what the most important part about this bill is, is that it's not promoting, or rather it's not just outlawing abortion, it's, it's outlawing safe abortion because abortion is still going to happen whether or not this bill is in effect. But now women who want to receive an abortion, who should be able to receive an abortion under Roe v. Wade, will now have to find more unhealthy and illegitimate ways to receive an abortion that could put their life in danger and, put, and cost them more money. Um, Many women will have to tr travel across state lines to receive an abortion, to receive this healthcare, or even go to clinics um, and technically get an abortion that is against the law in Texas right now. And I think what's most important about this is that we can't rely on the Supreme Court anymore. The Supreme Court, ever since the former President Trump was in office, has really shifted from a more balanced court to now a court with a 6-3 conservative majority. And many people are claiming this is the time to expand the court, to pack the court. 
And you know, that might work in some places, but it won't work here. Because if we pack the court now, if we expand the court now, the Republican Party is going to do the same thing. It's going to be this constant back and forth for decades to come. And we're going to have a court that becomes illegitimate, that becomes political. And at the end of the day, the founding fathers, the framers of the Constitution envisioned a Supreme Court that was apolitical, that where justices were appointed by an overwhelming majority, um, where more than at least two thirds of the senators agreed. And unfortunately, in 2016, the Republican Party took away that filibuster, um, that filibuster rule when it came to Supreme Court justices. And now we only have to appoint them by a, a simple majority vote of 51 or more. So I think the real lesson here is that we shouldn't focus on the court and we shouldn't rely on the court. We need to focus on the state legislatures and electing Democrats in legislatures around the country. Now, 30 years ago, the Republican Party made it a mission and made it its primary effort to flip state legislatures around the country, whether you're in Florida, Texas, Missouri, or elsewhere. Republicans have made it a goal uh, to pass bad bills in state legislatures. And the only way they can do that is by electing more Republicans and by building this bench of young Republicans in state legislatures. So that's where Democrats need to focus their efforts. Because if we flip state legislatures, you will not see heartbeat bills like this one, like the one in Texas, pass anywhere else in the country. Because the 10th Amendment of the United States gives states sovereignty, or rather the ability to pass bills and laws that govern the territory of the state. So whether it's slavery or anti-abortion bills or anti-climate bills, the worst policies in American history outside of war have come from the states. And that's why it's so important for Democrats and for us to focus on the state legislatures, to elect good Democrats to the state legislatures, to flip the Texas and the Florida state legislatures, and to ensure that bills like these heartbeat bills can't be passed. And even if they are passed right now, that in 2022, when we take a, when we, when Texas Democrats take over, they can repeal this bill. And when you have a Texas governor who's now a Democrat in 2022, God willing, you'll have the veto pen. You'll have the he'll have he or she will have the ability to not sign one of these bills into law. And that's why it's important not just to flip state legislatures, but also to elect Democratic governors. Because at the end of the day, if you had a governor Beto O'Rourke right now, you wouldn't have this bill because you would have the veto pen. He would have allowed, he would have vetoed the bill and it would have never reached the court system at all. And same thing in Florida. I mean, a few days after the decision of the Supreme Court, the Florida Senate uh, leader, who was a Republican, stated that he was going to start working on a similar heartbeat bill in Florida. And if we elect a Democratic governor in 2022, they'll have the power to veto any of this leg legislation. And you will not have these bills enacted into law. So that's why it's so important that we work to flip state legislatures around the country. Now, also this past week, Kevin McCarthy, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and other congressional Republicans began attacking telecommunication companies for complying with congressional subpoenas issued by the January 6th Select Committee. These subpoenas seek data and information from various members of Congress from their telephones regarding January 6th. The data received from these telecommunication companies will allow Congress and the Select Committee to investigate whether the members participated in planning and orchestrating the January 6th insurrection. Minority Leader McCarthy went so far as to say that these telecommunications are violating a law and that Congress will hold them accountable. Other Republicans, many of whom themselves preach small government and hate cancel culture, are saying that they will sanction these telecommunications companies if they release this data. Now this data should be released because they are complying with lawful subpoenas. They are not violating a law, 
Nothing these telecommunications companies is against any federal statute or any federal law. And it's funny that Republicans who preach small government and Republicans who preach cancel culture are now essentially canceling these telecommunication companies for following the law. Because if you flip the script on the Republican Party and when they wanted emails from Hillary Clinton servers and they wanted data from the fast and furious investigations back during the Obama administration, they wanted Democrats to comply with lawful subpoenas. They wanted companies to comply with lawful subpoenas. And now they don't want the same thing to happen here. And the reason why is because they're hiding something. Because someone doesn't want to comply with a lawful subpoena and doesn't want their telephone company to provide their phone data to Congress when there's something there that they don't want Congress seeing. So what is it? Who did Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene and others speak to on January 6th and in the days leading up to it about the Capitol, about the insurrection? Were there meetings? Did they meet with the former president and discuss certain things? Were there text messages? I bet you there were text messages between Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and the QAnon caucus about, um, about January 6th, about the, about the vote uh, uh, certifying the presidential election. And the truth needs to come out. And unfortunately, the Republican Party, led by Kevin McCarthy, don't want that. And, and they don't want the truth to come out and they don't want us to know. So there are no laws that are being violated. The subpoenas are lawfully being complied with by these telecommunication companies. And big kudos to the telecommunication companies for volunteering their efforts and giving up this data. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see what Kevin McCarthy, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and other congressional Republicans are going to do. And, and we're gonna see what they were doing on January 6th. So it'll be interesting to see. Now, lastly, upcoming on September 14th is the recall election in California. And this past week, Republican candidate, Larry Elder, who is the Republican, the leading candidate right now in the polls, stated while on the Candace Owens talk show that slave owners should be entitled to reparations. Now, this is how dire it's become in California. You don't have to agree with everything that Gavin Newsom has done. And many folks don't. Many Democrats don't agree with everything Gavin Newsom has done. But if Larry Elder is elected into office, if Gavin Newsom is recalled, California is not just going to go down the path of Republican leadership who will be able to veto any Democratic bill. But also, you're going to have a governor who believes that slave owners should be entitled to reparations, not the families of slaves, but the owners, the slave owners. And that's just disgusting. And not just that, if Larry Elder is elected, he's gonna have the opportunity to potentially appoint a replacement for Senator Dianne Feinstein if she retires by that before the end of her term, which means that we will no longer have a majority leader, Chuck Schumer. We will have a majority leader, Mitch McConnell, to obstruct President Biden's administration for the next year. Additionally, if that wasn't enough, if California goes red in 2021, you are going to have Republican candidates from around the country coming to California, hosting fundraisers, and having access to money that they never had before. We can't have that. If Democrats want to keep the Senate in 2022, if Democrats want to retain the House in 2022, if we want to keep our majorities, we need to say no to the recall. And we're gonna, and hopefully we go out and vote on September 14th and Californians say no and have Gavin Newsom in power for another year and then elect whoever they want in 2022. But right now, the most important thing Californians can do for the sake of our future, for the sake of our country's future, is to vote no on the recall 
and retain Governor Newsom as their governor. So folks, that's it for this week's headlines. Let's jump right into our interview with Florida State Senator and potential gubernatorial candidate, Annette Tadeo. We are so excited to welcome Florida State Senator Annette Tadeo to today's episode of Zoomed In. Uh, Senator Tadeo uh, has been on the front lines fighting for Floridians and calling out Ron DeSantis, and we are so excited to have her on the show today. So thank you so much for coming and Zooming in with us. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. Well, Senator, I want to jump right in. Um, So not many of our viewers know about your background and your history. So can you tell our viewers who is Annette Tadeo? Well, thank you. I I don't know that we have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) But I I am uh, the daughter of an American fighter pilot. um, And uh, my dad from New Jersey. So uh, actually... Uh, you know, just a lot of my fighting spirit comes from my dad. My dad uh, really inspired me to, to believe that, that, that the world can be a better place. And, um, and he went after fighting in World War II and Korea, he was sent to Colombia, uh, to Colombia, South America. <laughs> I'll be clear about what, which Colombia, <laughs> with the O's, O-L-O, M-B-I-A. Anyway, um, and he was sent there to teach uh, the, the Colombians how to fly helicopters. Uh, but, you know, he was in the U.S. Air Force and he was an instructor. And so, um, so, so that's the rest is history because he met my mom. Uh, and, and clearly, uh, I am half Colombian, half New Jerseyan, Italian, <laughs> a little bit of everything. My last name is actually Italian. A lot of people don't realize that Tadeo is actually Italian. Got an Italian and, last name over here as well. Very <laughs> proud of it. Very difficult to pronounce, but got to be proud of it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, you probably eat gravy on Sundays and not, <laughs> not spaghetti not, sauce. Not like spaghetti you. sauce, gravy. Absolutely. Gravy. <laughs> anyway, that's a very Italian thing. So, um, so I grew up in Colombia. I was born and raised there. I grew up there. I, I, I was, though, born an American citizen due to parental rights. So I like to say it's the only thing I have in common with Ted Cruz. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, but actually, when I was uh, 17 years old, I was one day buying uniforms for my school, my next school year that we were starting. And the following day, I was on a plane to Alabama, of all places, mm. uh, because uh, of all the violence and the fart terrorist group had, you know, had shown up at our ranch uh, and uh, kidnapped my dad. And so, um, you know, look, thank goodness he had that training from the Air Force because mm-hmm. he was able actually to escape and it made it more dangerous. Uh, for his children and his family. So I was the first one to get out um, of, the, of the country to go live with uh, friends in Alabama. So if you hear a little bit of a Southern accent at times mm-hmm. with my Spanish accent, that's why. I learned English in Alabama, really. <laughs> and, and so I, I you know, I'm, I'm right now fixing to tell you a story is the way we would say it in Alabama. And, um, and it just, I went to, I graduated high school there, graduated college in Alabama and, uh, and then Hurricane Andrew changed everything because my parents were already in Miami. They lost their home and I moved uh, to, to Miami to help them rebuild. 
and fought the insurance companies. Uh, <laughs> my parents were at that point much elderly, and I just learned a lot at a very young age about uh, the importance of laws and 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 people, um, you know, going through a, a tough time after after a hurricane like Andrew. And so with that, I became very involved, started my own business. Uh, it's it's a business that I started out of my parents' home and uh, grew it and, and, and really was very successful. But I want to just tell you a little bit about, you know, what really got me into public yeah. service. Mm, Did absolutely. I decide to, to really get into it? And it was actually when I was at the University of North Alabama in Florence, Alabama, and I decided to run for my first ever political office, which was to run for uh, secretary of the student government. And I was in a sorority. I was, I thought I was popular. (laughs) Everything was cool. And I'm sure I'm going to get elected. And lo and behold, you know, I put posters all over the university Mm -hmm. that said, Matt Tadeo for for secretary and my picture. And on the day of the election, as I'm going to the the government center, the center where we all ate and where the voting was, um, my posters... Uh, no longer said Annette Tadeo for secretary. They said Annette Tadeo for deportation. I still have a hard time sometimes telling the story because it is it is really a, a, a moment that I believe makes me who I am today. It is the moment that I realized that people saw me differently. You know, again, I was I, I was the daughter of an American fighter pilot. I, I never saw myself as a, as a foreigner. Um, and although I know everybody sees me as one, my accent, uh, you know, and just, it really, I, I lost that election. <laughs> Let me just say that. But I gained so much more because I really at that moment in time is when I decided, you know what, I, I am going to be successful. I am going uh, to, to really have a seat at the table and I'm going to be someone that's going to fight so that we can all understand each other better, communicate better and really be a better country when we all come together. And lo and behold, I get elected in 2017, you know, in a special election. It was one of the first ones to turn from red to blue after Trump got elected. So it was it, it was a weird uh, thing to go around. But I'm, the reason why I'm jumping to this is because I ended up winning my special election uh, against the guy who they were grooming to be the next Marco Rubio. He was the he was a, an up and coming state representative in Florida, and they were grooming him to be the next Senate president. And then he was going to uh, go on, you know, like I said, to be the next Marco Rubio. And I won that election against all odds. And my one of the first things that I got was a call from my alma mater to be the speaker at the graduation. Wow. That's I mean, think about this, right? Wow. And so, and I was, I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna give a, a, a speech at a graduation. This is this is huge. And of course I said yes. But I will tell you, until like four o'clock in the morning, the day of the speech, I literally was taking out and putting back in my history at the university and what happened to me. And I was afraid because this is Alabama, this is Trump country. What am I going to, you know, maybe I shouldn't tell this story. They're going to, they're going to kick me out of the stadium. It was full. This was pre COVID. And I decided to tell the story 
And I will tell you, I ended up at the end of that speech getting a standing ovation in our so I'm telling you this story because it gives me hope. It gives me hope that that we as Americans do have uh, the opportunity to turn even those Trump voters around. Mm-hmm. Like we just we just need to realize just because someone's a Republican or or something, they're not our enemy. Let's try to figure out and and with our heart and with our experiences, be able to really change minds and and bring people back together. And, and I will tell you, after that, I went in the back and there's this whole bunch of students. When I went to school there, there were no Hispanics. There's a whole bunch of them waiting for me. They want to take wow. pictures, wow. but many of them were crying. And, and at that moment is when I went, oh my gosh, this is so worth it. And, and to see these kids graduating and, That's amazing. and yeah. had my story and what I had accomplished. And I'm just so... You know, it's so encouraging for me when I'm able to to do anything to encourage people to do more and to give back. Yeah, well, it's, it's an amazing story. And um, and not many people really know the true extent that Republicans went to attack you, especially in 2017. So being a Democratic state senator in Florida, how do you combat the misinformation thrown at us by the Republicans calling us socialists, calling us communists day, left and right? Um, and how do we and how do we? Um, combat that moving forward. Well, Aaron, they didn't just call me a socialist and a communist. They called me a terrorist sympathizer right. too. It was bad. The commercials were bad. Um, yeah. They they had uh, people. Um, you know, they had the Chinese uh, army starting out, and then it was like my picture, comunista, socialista. It was just really, really, really something to see, and 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 it really hurt because here we were you know fighting to try to win a race and and there we are like they're calling me not just a socialist and a communist but a terrorist sympathizer so we fought back look the way you win this is you fight back but but it also helped that i was fighting back with my personal story letting Mm -hmm. letting people know okay let me tell you about my experience with terrorism okay don't talk to don't talk to me about terrorism when Mm -hmm. when when so many uh so many people you know especially colombians have experienced what my family experienced uh with the FARC terrorist group so so we you know we need to push back and we need to push back with our personal stories uh you know because sometimes the 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 attacks are so ridiculous right that you just go it's so Mm -hmm. crazy oh this is crazy that they're calling me this but you know it's like a it's you're in a fighting ring and they keep hitting you at some point your nose is going to start bleeding right and, and, you know, you talked about, you know, fighting back with our personal stories um, and, and young people have so many personal stories about, you know, maybe they're worried for the future of Florida. Um, how do we activate young people in this 2022 election and, and really get them involved for the first time politically, knowing that their future is at stake, but still that there is hope for that future? You know, I am somebody that believes that, um, you, you know, First of all, we got to stand for what we stand for and mm-hmm. stop being shy about yeah, absolutely. our values. Like, you know, I mean, look, I got elected and immediately tried to expand Medicaid. Hello? Like, why are we leaving money on the table? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's just like, you know, a minimum wage. Like, why are we hiding? No, shouldn't shy away from it. Absolutely. Exactly. So these are the things that you just sit there and go, why? Like, be proud of who we are. And by the way, the voters agree with us. 
Absolutely. <laughs> right. Over and over, we find out the voters agree with us. So, but you know what I have learned uh, through, uh, through all these years that I've run, including running for lieutenant governor, so I've run statewide, is, is it's really hard to, to motivate people and, um, and, and candidates matter. And being, especially young people, being real matters. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I will tell you, I, I have plenty of losses in my history and, and I'm not ashamed of it because I became better and I learned. And one of the things I learned that I think is really important and I think that makes a difference, especially for young people, is be yourself. Like, don't try to be someone you're not. Yeah. And and I think, you know, we we as Democrats and, and, and especially young people, we like to fall in love with our candidates. We like sure. to know that that they're like somebody that's going to fight and not give up and not be shy. And I mean, I'm not saying be rude, but but, you know, <laughs> like be proud of but what stand up and, and share your values. Fight, fight, yeah, fight, absolutely. fight yep. for our values and and uh, and don't give up just because you didn't succeed, you know, the next time you'll do even better. So I, I, I'm just, I'm of the belief that you never give up. Believe me, <laughs> if I would have given up a, a long time ago, we, we wouldn't have done anything <laughs> in the state That's of Florida. I, I've been fighting for so long for so many things that we have accomplished. That's amazing. Uh, so. And and I think that's actually a perfect transition. You mentioned statewide races, and now there are a lot of rumors swirling around your future plans. Yesterday or earlier this week, um, in an interview with the Miami Herald, when asked about whether you're going to run for governor, you said, "About time, yes, or I wouldn't be jumping in." Um, or when you, it was in response to a question about whether it's time for Florida to have a Latina governor. Um, so, Senator, are you jumping in the race? <laughs> uh, Stay tuned. Uh, mm, I, I stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I'm not ready uh, right. to, to, to really jump in with both feet. And I'll tell you why, because I, I know what it entails. Mm. I know how difficult it is having run statewide. And, and I know the amount of influence of money uh, that comes into these races. And please understand, I mean, we, we right now have a governor who's hasn't bothered to be governor. 100%. I mean, hasn't bothered to be in the governor. state too. And so we need, we need, we need, we need a governor. <laughs> we need someone that's actually going to govern. Right. Uh, but, but, but we need to also understand that we are running against someone that is more interested in being a future president than in being governor. And so when you're talking about that much interest in him and the influence of money. I mean, he's raising millions and millions of dollars per month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then it really tells you how tough this is going to be. So I am being very careful in making sure that if and when I do this, that we do it right and that we have the right team around us and that I make sure that the, the, the support is there. Like I need to hear from people and that's what I've been doing. I've been going around the state. I've been making phone calls. I've been calling and I've been meeting with people. And, and those meetings are really what have, you know, propelled me to say people are ready. People are ready, not just for a Latina, because we should not vote for people just because they're women or because they're Hispanic or, or because of whatever, mm -hmm. but because, 
people are ready for a fighter and for somebody that's real and for somebody that has been a Democrat her whole life and is proud of it. Yeah. And, and, and just all the reasons why we, I believe we have not been successful. We've come close, but just, we can never seem to bring it over the top. And it's so important that we do that. Uh, and I, and I think that um, this, I, this is a year when most people would say, don't run, wait till the next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never been afraid of difficult, mm. difficult races. I've only done difficult races and I'm actually more attracted to the challenge <laughs> of we need to get this done. Because honestly, this is not just uh, about me being governor. This is about the future. Um, I do have a daughter who's 15 years old and I want her to be able to live here. And I just don't know. I mean, look, look at what just happened in Texas. And now they're Absolutely. saying that copy Texas. So yeah. it's, we're talking about real stuff and that affects people's lives tremendously. Yeah. Well, Senator Annette Tadeo, a proud, a loud and proud Democrat. Unlike Ron DeSantis, you are focused on Florida and you are fighting for our future. Thank you so much for zooming in with us. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for both of you. And that's our show. Thank you so much to Florida State Senator Annette Tadeo for coming on for an incredible interview with us. And thank you to you, our listeners, uh, for such an amazing first couple weeks of support and tuning in every Wednesday. We appreciate you all so much. Uh, And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Um, Also, you can follow Aaron at Aaron Parnas on all social medias and myself at JD Cacciarella on Twitter. Thank you for zooming in with us, and we hope to see you again next week.